series is called All In, uh, basically because it sums up all of James in two words. Uh, it, if, you, if you followed along at all, you could probably come to the conclusion by now that James really doesn't say anything new that Jesus didn't already say. He just kind of expounds on it just so that we didn't get the impression we could take what Jesus had said and over-spiritualize it when we apply it to our lives. So James comes in and just lays it down, you know, and he restates it. So, uh, so when Jesus says something uh, like, uh, you know, when Jesus says, if you call someone a fool, then you are in danger of the fires of hell, James comes right back along and says, yes, it's true. You need to let your yes be yes and your no be no above everything. Your mouth, your, your words, your tongue is like a rudder, and it steers the ship, you know, of your life everywhere. So when Jesus says, uh, blessed are the poor, James says, yes, literally, the poor are blessed because they are rich in faith. When Jesus says, greater works than these shall you do than the works that I did, James goes, yes, it's true. Call the elders of the church to the front. Have the sick come down to the front. Lay your hands and pray for them so that they will uh, receive healing. So James takes Jesus' words and just expounds on them and makes sure that we don't spiritualize them, over-spiritualize them. They are, they're true. So I'm going to tell you guys uh, this morning's passage. It's really two, like Sarah said, it's two passages. They seem uh, pretty different. They're two challenging passages. Uh, expound on two major areas that Jesus talks about pretty often. Money and suffering. Money and suffering. And so I'm going to go ahead and tell you there's uh, the, the main point for today, if you want to write this down, if you've got a little uh, notepad out or you've got an app on your phone, I'll go ahead and let you know what the, the main idea is. So if you check out in the middle of the sermon, you know, and you just you, you zonk out, you've got this down deep in you, okay? So here it is. If you're going to go all in... You must understand that God is a rewarder, and his reward is Jesus. If you're going to go all in, you must understand that God is a rewarder, and that his reward is Jesus. The passage this morning, James chapter 5, beginning in verse 1. Now listen, you rich people. All right, we're going to stop right there, all right, because... A lot of you in here decided, well, he's not talking to me. <laughs> so <laughs> let's go ahead and establish uh, who we're talking to this morning. Uh, first off, if you make $20,000 a year or more, you are in the top 2% richest on earth. All right? So let's give some perspective here. If you make $20,000 a year or more, you are richer than 98% of the rest of the earth's inhabitants. Okay? So let's get everything in perspective. So here in America, we, you, you, your name may not be Bill Gates, uh, but you are somebody's Bill Gates. All right? Somewhere. So here on, in the United States, uh, we are the, the most, you could say, blessed. You could definitely say the most uh, wealthiest nation on earth. Yet at the same time, what James is about to condemn the, the rich here, the wealthy, we have to understand that the Bible's full of wealthy people, like, like rich people who were called of God. And so you look and you go, you know, somebody like Abraham, Father Abraham, he was basically the equivalent of a multimillionaire. And yet at the same time, he is a, a grandfather of faith. Or Abraham or Isaac, 
uh, or Jacob, King David, King Solomon. In the New Testament, we have several examples. Uh, Joseph of Arimathea, the guy that um, took Jesus' body and buried him in his tomb that he had, was a very wealthy man. So when we look at this passage, I'm about to read it, and, it, and it, you have to realize here who James is talking to is that it's not only a, a, uh, a percentage or an amount, but an attitude. It's an attitude that we're looking at. So now listen, you rich people. Weep and wail because of the misery that is coming upon you. Your wealth has rotted and moths have eaten your clothes. Your gold and silver are corroded. Their corrosion will testify against you and eat your flesh like fire. You've hoarded wealth in the last days. Look, the wages you failed to pay the workmen who mowed your fields are crying out against you. The cries of the harvesters have reached the ears of the Lord Almighty. You've lived on earth in luxury and self-indulgence. You fattened yourselves in the day of slaughter. You condemned and murdered innocent men who were not opposing you. The next passage, be patient then, brothers, until the Lord's coming. See how the farmer waits for the land to yield its valuable crop and how patient he is for the autumn and spring rains. You too be patient and stand firm because the Lord's coming is near. Don't grumble against each other, brothers, or you'll be judged. The judge is standing at the door. Brothers, as an example of patience in the face of suffering, take the prophets who spoke in the name of the Lord. As you know, we consider blessed those who have persevered. You've heard of Job's perseverance and have seen what the Lord finally brought about. The Lord is full of compassion and mercy. Above all, my brothers, do not swear, not by heaven or by earth or by anything else. Let your yes be yes and your no be no or you will be condemned. What is enough? That's what these two passages address. What is enough, and do I have enough of it? So this morning, I'm going to try to answer, attempt to answer two questions. What can I expect from Jesus in my finances? What is enough? And what can I expect from Jesus when I'm suffering and when I'm going through difficulties and trials because you will. What is enough? What can I expect? First thing this morning that we have to understand is wealth is not necessarily an amount, but an attitude. We covered that a minute ago. It is, it is not necessarily a specific amount that, that makes someone, decides whether someone is generous or not, or has an open heart towards God. Remember, God looks on the heart. Man looks on the outward appearance, but God looks on the heart. So we don't know how generous someone is by looking on the outward appearance. There are, uh, America suffers from a disease. I call this the more disease, all right? We'll talk about two, two diseases this morning. The first one is the more disease. It's, it, and it comes from two places. The first one is in your nature. So uh, Adam and Eve... In the beginning, the very first humans that we have uh, uh, written of in Scripture are Adam and Eve, and they live in paradise. You can attempt to imagine what paradise is like. You can read the first couple chapters of Genesis, and it's, you know, it's kind of challenging, but they, they live in uh, ultimate paradise where everything is perfect. Um, the world is perfect. They have all that they could ever need. Um, they have companionship. They have food. They have uh, paradise. 
Everything is in perfect order. God created everything, and then he said, this is good. They even had relationship with God so close that Scripture says that Adam walked with God in the cool of the evening. Can you imagine a relationship? Look, we encourage everybody. To, you know, I do my devotions. I want to meet with Jesus um, every day as, as often as I can. I want to go cro- closer to him. But I don't walk with God like in the evenings. Can you imagine walking with God? That must be so fulfilling, so amazing, so incredible. I can't even, I can't even wrap my brain around it. And yet somehow they were still unsatisfied. They still wanted more. So what, so what, do, what do Adam and Eve do? They're tempted by the serpent. The, the tree is in the middle of the Garden of Eden. Don't ask me why it was in the middle of the Garden of Eden. I don't know why God would have put it there and not somewhere far, far away where they never would have found it. I don't know. But it was right in the middle of the garden. Adam and Eve come over. The serpent tempts them, basically saying God's trying to keep something from you. There's more. There's more and you don't have enough. And so what do they do? They fall. And that fallen nature is still in us and it's still in you. It's still in me where we're always craving more. It's not just in our nature, but it's in culture everywhere around us. Everywhere we look around culture, you are receiving messages that tell you that you need more. In fact, you hear over 360 messages every single day that you need more, whether it's commercials, radio, the internet, advertising, over 360 direct messages every single day telling you what to wear, what's cool, what's manly, what's feminine, what is, what's the right thing, what you need this. Every, every single day you hear that you need more. And this environment sows into us true discontentment. I was watching, I watched a documentary uh, a while back um, and it was about this multi-millionaire um, hotel owner uh, in Florida. And the whole story was about he was, uh, it, it was sort of hotels, he was selling timeshares. He was the biggest timeshare owner uh, in, I think, America, maybe the world. And uh, it was right, the documentary was filming right during the middle of 2008. So it takes on, it shows the collapse of this uh, the, the beginnings of the collapse of this guy's business. But there's a little mini story in the middle of the documentary, and it's this family. This guy is a multi-multi-millionaire. They're, building, they're working on building the largest house, the most expensive house in America. And the wife has a niece who is homeless. She's a young girl. She's living in the car with her mom, and her mom is strung out on drugs and cannot take care of her anymore. And so the wealthy family takes this sweet little homeless girl and brings them into their home. It's like lottery day, right? She goes from homelessness to multi-millionaire. Don't act like you've never dreamed what it would be like to wake up one day and just have so much money you wouldn't even know what to do with. Yes, I had, that's like a fun conversation to have. You know, to talk with your spouse or talk with your friend. What would you do if you had $100 million? <laughs> you know, so it, it, I mean, it was, it, it, and it shows this girl who goes from living in the backseat of a car all the way to living in basically a castle. And so they're interviewing this girl. And by this time, she's been with the family, I, I think, four or five, six years. And they're interviewing her and she's sitting there in a the room and they go, well, tell us, tell us what, it, what it's like. And she goes, I'll be honest with you. 
I think she's about 15 or 16 years old. She goes, it was amazing at first. She said, I, I, look, you got to know where I came from. I, I had one pair of clothes. I didn't have, uh, I didn't know when I was going to eat. I move into here, into this place. I have my own, not just my own room, but my own side of the house. I can eat anything I want, anytime I want. I have my own personal chef. The family has its own chef. I, I have everything I could have ever wanted. And listen to what this l- young teenage girl says. But you know what? I'll be honest. She said, the longer I've been here and the more stuff I've gotten, the more I kind of just want a little bit more. There's, I still want, I'm not really satisfied. And I've listened to this, uh, I watched this documentary and I just thought, this is like, this is unbelievable. It would be unbelievable if it wasn't so true of our culture. What's in our nature and what we hear all the time, that you don't have enough. You, if, if you think you could sit here and hear these, this amount of messages every single day, week after week, month after month, year after year in our culture and not think that it doesn't have an effect on you, you're crazy. Yes, it has an effect on us. We hear it all the time and it sows into us an environment of true discontentment. It's this more disease. Wealth is an attitude, but it's also deceptive. So I've got a a quote from Dietrich Bonhoeffer. Uh, Dietrich Bonhoeffer lived several decades ago during um, World War II, and he says this, Earthly goods deceive the human heart in believing that they give it security and freedom from worry. But in truth, they are what cause anxiety. They are what cause anxiety. Stuff creates anxiety. It does. I'll give you an example. You guys remember your first car? You remember your first car? My first car was a 1990 Geo Prism. It was uh, white. It was kind of smashed in a little bit on the front. The headlight was duct taped. And um, it was, uh, it, uh, the light stayed on in the dashboard even if I wasn't driving it. And so when I got out of the car, I'd have to walk around. I carried a pair of pliers with me. And I'd walk around, I'd pop the hood, and I'd pull the battery cable off. And then I'd go into work, you know. And then I'd come back out after work, and I'd come back, and I'd put the battery cable back in. And I, you guys, any first cars were, were similar to that? For a while, it only, it's a four-cylinder car. For a while, it had only three cylinders. Something was wrong with the distributor cap, and so it, it only ran on three. So you could push the pedal as hard as you want. It would just get louder. It just wouldn't get any faster. And you're still just, you know. And so I didn't care about the car that much. I remember I hit a deer in that car. Uh, I lived out in the county, and I hit a deer, and, it, and I was actually happy because then my friends would ask me, hey, man, what happened to your car? Why is it duct taped in the front? And I would say, well, I hit a deer. You see that blood splatter on the front? I mean, it just it didn't matter to me, you know? I mean, you could, you could slam it. Another car door could hit it. Uh, I'm fine with it. I mean, I'd, I'll be honest with you. I, I'm fairly certain I drove that car for several years. I drove it into the ground. I don't think I ever washed it one time. I mean, it was just, it, <laughs> well, I was, you know, I'm 17 years old, 16, 17, 18. And, I mean, you're just like, whatever. And so uh, I remember, I, that was my first car. Uh, I don't have that car anymore. I have a little bit newer car. It's not brand new, but it's new enough to me. And I'll be honest with you, I, I, I take, I, I try to take care of the car. I don't, if somebody opens the door and hits my car with it, I'm, it's not like, ha, 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 it's okay. You know, no, I'm mad. I'm, 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 you know, I'm, I'm, I'm a little bit more worried. I, I don't want people to, you know, I'm, I'm going to take care of my car. You, I remember my very first place Lindsay and I ever lived in after we got married. It was uh, a little uh, uh, two-bedroom duplex. 
uh, down in Florida, right across the street from my college campus. It was painted pink and teal. Uh, we called it the Flamingo Terrace. And um, it was, uh, we, we rented it. It was a great experience, uh, but it was, I wasn't real concerned about my house. I wasn't, real, I mean, I had weeds kind of growing up in the back of it. Uh, every once in a while, some crazy person would, you know, kind of drive through the front part of it. And I got tire tracks in the front and, you know, I'm, I'm just not, I, w- I wasn't super concerned with how that, you know, what, it, it doesn't matter. I'm renting. It's not my house. Now, my house now that I have, I do care. When people come up in the grass and driving and leaving tire tracks and stuff, I don't, I don't, want, I don't want weeds growing up in the back of my house. And you could see over time, I've gotten some, I'm, I'm proud of the, some of the stuff that I have. I've, you know, I'm, I'm proud of it. But at the same time, that stuff has created some anxiety in me that now I have to take care of more stuff. You see what I mean? Stuff, the stuff that we have can create anxiety. We can, we can buffer our fears of the future by buying more stuff and by buying more things, but it's only going to create more fear. It's only going to create more anxiety. The more we get, oftentimes... That's the, that's the deception of wealth. That's the deception of wealth without the heart behind it, without the heart, the generous heart of God behind it. Wealth can be deadly. That's what this warning to rich oppressors says. Most of you in here say, I'm not going to kill anybody over money. But almost all crime is built around money and the love of it and wanting more of it. And it's people who have plenty that want more. So whether it's physical death or spiritual death, wealth can be deadly. There was a survey that came out several years ago, a fidelity survey, and it said um, it surveyed people that had a million dollars in uh, assets that that was not real estate and it was not retirement. It was just a million dollars that they just had. And it didn't, it didn't matter. It, they didn't count for real estate uh, or retirement income, just a million bucks, all right? And they asked them um, if they felt wealthy after all of this. And 42% of those surveyed, after having all this, they still said they didn't feel wealthy. 42% still didn't feel wealthy even though, I don't know by your standards, I would say that that would be, uh, I would say that that would be wealthy. But you will never feel, you and I will never feel wealthy or feel rich because you are an eternal being. You're an eternal being. You're going to live forever. Your soul will live forever and ever and ever. And anytime we use temporal things to try to fill our lives, they will always come up somewhat short. You're a temporal, I mean, you are a eternal being using temporal things, and it will never suffice. It will never, never fill your life. First Timothy chapter 6, but godliness with contentment is great gain. For we brought nothing into this world, and we can take nothing out of it. But if you have food and clothing, we will be content with that. You know, I'll read that verse. I'll be honest with you. It's saying all you need is food and clothing. All you need is a, uh, a pair of clothes, 
and a, you know, a burrito, <laughs> and you're fine. I don't, um, I, that's hard for me to, I don't feel that way. But First Timothy says that, Paul says that. Um, if you have food and clothing, we'll be content with that. Those who want to get rich fall into temptation and a trap and into many foolish and harmful desires that plunge people into ruin and destruction. The love of money is the root of all kinds of evil. Some people eager for money have wandered from the faith, faith and pierced themselves with many griefs. The more disease, and it's all around us. It's all around everywhere we look. The second disease is this. It's the now disease. We aren't used to patience. We aren't, we aren't used to patience in America. Literally everything in our culture works against the development of patience. Everything. I've, I've never seen this, but I heard that back in the day, there were, you only had one opportunity if you were going to watch a movie. There was only one playing at the theater. I don't know if that's true. I don't know. Nowadays, I've got a lot of options, and if I don't want to go to the movie theater, I can go to the living room, and I can turn on my TV, and I can turn on Netflix. You literally can watch movies like this. I mean, just in a, in a second. You want food? We have fast food. We got fast. You can just go up there and get it fast. The other day, I went to Chick-fil-A. And you know how, you, you know, one lane isn't fast enough anymore. Now we have two lanes. Well, I went to Chick-fil-A, which is awesome. And out there, they have two lanes. And then they had other people out there with these special vests on taking my order before I gave my order. And so I drove up in the line, and the line was too long. So they came up to my window, and they were like, what can I get for you? And I was like, this is awesome. So I told them what I wanted, and I just had it in like a second. We are, this culture is not built for patience. Literally everything is built around getting the right now, getting whatever you want right now. I'm going on vacation tomorrow morning. I'm, I'm, uh, I'm a little excited. Uh, I have a five-hour drive, but I can be honest with you, the conversation that I've had with Lindsay has been almost completely around how many things can we put in our car to fill the attention of our children. <laughs> Lindsay's got on Pinterest. I don't know if you're on Pinterest. Uh, I, was, I was against Pinterest for a while. Now I'm a Pinterest fan. All right, she's got on there. She's come up with all kinds of little crafty things that we're going to throw at our kids while we're in the car. We're going to fill them up with, with crafts to do in the car. And then when that runs out, we're going to just start throwing our phones at them and just be like, here, play games. You, you, know, fill it up, you know, fill it up with games and stuff, whatever we can do. You know what I had when I was, a, when I was a, just a young child going on, a, going on a long road trip? Probably the same thing you had. We had punch bug. You know what punch bug is? You identify a car that when you see it, you punch each other. Yay. I'm number three of three boys. And the one younger than me is a girl. We weren't allowed to hit her. So I could, you can kind of imagine how that game went. All right? Punch bug. Yay. That was the game we had. But everything that we have now literally fights against creating patience. It is a toxic culture created in order to rid ourselves the need of patience. How many of you guys have yelled at your phone or your tablet in the past week? Just let's be honest. You yelled at it. Why? Because it wasn't loading fast enough, right? It's taken 13 seconds to load that article about how to fix your spouse in the next 24 hours. And you're like, <laughs> yes, I've yelled. At, that's not why. I don't read those articles. Lindsay, I don't. <laughs> She's laughing at me in the back. I'm sorry. The problem is that persevering faith, persevering glad-hearted faith in God requires patience. 
and we are discipled every day the opposite. Here's this next passage. So here's the, the, the dangers of wealth, the deception of wealth, the deadliness of wealth, and here comes James's response about patience. And he says, be patient, the Lord is coming. The Lord is coming. Those who are, those who are struggling, those who are going through difficult times, those who are uh, living in challenging moments, be patient. The other day I was sitting on my deck and I heard uh, my daughter, she's two years old, my youngest is two years old, her name's Juliet, and she's a monkey. She's everywhere. She climbs on everything. And so I heard, Daddy, Daddy, and I couldn't see her, but I knew she was over on the play set. And so I'm looking around, and I don't see her, and Daddy, and so I walk over, and finally I see her, and she's hanging on the top of the, the play set just by her arms, just hanging there, you know, just swinging, waiting on me. And so I go over there, and I, and I grab her and say, Juju, you can't. You can't just be, you can't be hanging out on the playset. What if you fail? And I, I, honestly, I don't think she cares, but she, I, I, I got her and, you know, I set her down and, you know, pat her little head and um, said, don't, don't do that. But that's our, that's our, actually kind of our posture while we're here on earth. You're an eternal being, eternal. It's going to last forever. This world isn't going to last forever. In fact, we're going to have a, a new earth and a new heavens one day. But the, the posture that we have as believers is believing that, that, that Jesus is coming back, he's coming soon, and we're going to hold on tight till he gets here. We're hanging out here till he gets here. We're waiting on him to return. Be patient. The Lord is coming. That's what James says. Be patient. The Lord is coming. Every generation before us has said, pray the prayer, come Lord Jesus, Jesus is coming soon. If you read the New Testament, you see the disciples, they, they say the same. They even have this, this urgency and this expectancy that God is going to come back at any moment. And a lot of us live with that same expectation. He hasn't yet. He hasn't come back yet. And somehow they lived with that urgency and that expectancy that he was going to come back and he was coming back for his bride, but he hasn't yet. Does that mean that he's not? No. No. Your life and my life is over and just like that. Scripture says it's but a wisp of fog. So you, you ever go out in the winter and you blow your breath out in the air and it just is there for a second and then just dissipates? That's our lives. Life is, life is short. I've heard somebody say it this way. We have long days and short years. Long days and short years. Didn't, didn't we just put up the Christmas stuff like yesterday? I'm about to break it back out, right? I've had people come up to me regularly and tell me, you know, they see my kids running around like punching people, you know, me specifically, and they're running around acting, you know, just being kids. And they come up and they go, hey, 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 enjoy it. It's going to be over. It's going to be over soon. I'm like, whatever, don't tell me that, you know. But it's true. It's true. I mean, life, it's, it's, it's like this. I mean, it's just in a second. You talk to any older person that is living in retirement and they'll tell you the same. Long days, short years. It goes by in such a flash. So when this scripture tells us to live with this urgency and this expectancy that Jesus is coming back, be patient then, the Lord is coming. Whether he comes back tomorrow 
or whether he comes back in a thousand years, it might as well be tomorrow. It's like he's coming. And you can live with that hope and you can live with that expectancy that he is coming back for his bride. Be patient then, those of you that are suffering. Be patient. The Lord is at work in you. Y'all have heard this phrase. Pastor Jay says this phrase regularly. It's the, it's the idea that sometimes he calms the storm and other times he calms the child. God's at work in you and we can call out to him and he asks us to do that. Call out to God when you're going through whatever it is that you're going through. He cares for you. Cast your cares on him for he cares for you. And sometimes he walks out, he wakes up in the, uh, from the boat and he stands up and he says, shh, in the ocean's what? Storm ceases. Other times, he says, be quiet to your soul. And a storm goes on around you, all around, and yet in your soul, there's peace. Be patient. The Lord is at work in you. The now disease coming from culture creates a toxic environment for us that is completely opposed to the development of Christ-likeness in your life. The goal of Christianity isn't the blessed life or even the best life right now. It is to become like Christ. Oftentimes, the route towards Christ-likeness is different than what we want. More and now will never develop in you contentment and patience. And the problem is that what God wants to develop in you and me is contentment and patience. And the absolute message from culture to us is you need more and you need it right now. And you hear it and I hear it every single day. How does the gospel deliver? The cure for the more disease isn't more stuff, and the cure for the now disease isn't to receive whatever you're asking for, oftentimes, right this second. God's deliverance, his reward, is Jesus. It is the presence of Jesus, always and forever, forever Jesus. In every circumstance, in every trial, it is his presence, it's Jesus. I'll, um, when my daughter was two years old, I've shared this story with you guys before. When she was two years old, she was, uh, we didn't know what was wrong. She'd stopped walking. She was walking at two, and then she stopped walking. We were, uh, Lindsay and I were absolutely terrified. We didn't know what it was. We went to the doctor. It took two weeks for them to finally diagnose her with something called osteomyelitis in the spine, which is basically a bone infection in her back. And um, we didn't know what to do. We didn't know how to handle it. They put, ended up treating her with, um, I took my little two-year-old daughter who was uh, incessantly crying because the pain was too much, and um, they ended up putting her on an IV antibiotic. And so they put a pick line that goes up in her arm all the way over, and then it dripped over near her heart, and they would put antibiotics in her, which are great. God, thank you for antibiotics. The problem was the first one that we started on didn't work, and she was still crying and crying in nonstop pain. The second one that they gave her was uh, ended up, created an allergy. She had an allergy to it. And so the third one that they finally got to ended up working, but it took two months to get there. 
And in the middle of all this, I'm a first-time parent. I have one child. She's two years old. She's sweet, and she won't stop crying because she's in pain. And all she says to me every single day is, Daddy, 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 I'm hurting. And so I remember looking back now, I have, uh, uh, hindsight's twenty twenty. I can look back now and go, God was so faithful. But in the middle of the storm, it's different. And those of you that have gone through storms, it's different. And I remember I felt every emotion you could feel. I, I, I was angry for a while. I was sad for a while. I was, uh, I, was, I, I, was, I was all of it. And I remember I got to a point to where I, I felt uh, so bad because I felt like I was, my faith was so weak. And I, and I felt so bad because I thought, God, I, I don't even know. I don't know how much I can... I don't know how many more days I can continue doing this. I have faith in you today. I don't know how many more days I can do this. And um, it was very hard for me. And I remember driving down the road, me and Lindsay had switched out um, shifts at the hospital. And so Lindsay was there and I drove home to take a shower and then come back and I was on my way back. And I remember I was driving down the road and I was crying and I was saying, God, I'm so sorry. I'm such a sorry Christian. I'm such a sorry Christian. I, I, don't, I don't know how much longer I can do this. I want to believe that you're faithful, but I'm in so much pain and I have so much doubt. And I'm sorry. I'm sorry. And I remember in that moment, I just, I was driving and I, and I, I, I gave up. I gave up. I just, I, I just said, I, I don't know how much longer I can do this. I know I can do this today. And I just breathed. And as soon as I breathed, I heard uh, the Holy Spirit speak to me as, as clear as I've ever heard him speak. And he said this. He said, For I know in whom I have believed and, have, and am persuaded that he is able to keep that which I've committed unto him against that day. The reason I know he said it was because that was King James and there's an old song that I'd learned when I was a kid and there's no reason I would have thought that otherwise. I don't, know what, I don't know where that song came from. I remember singing it when I was a little kid. Um, I don't know, uh, the, only, the only way, uh, the only explanation I have is that God put it in me and he basically said this. Um, you, you keep faith in me. You, you believe in me. And I will keep you. Not you. You're not strong enough. Yes, you're weak. I'm strong enough. I have enough faith. My faith is a gift to you, and I'm going to give it to you. It's not your strength. It's not on you. It's on me. It's on my shoulders, and I'm going to give it to you. I'm going to place that in you. I'm the one that's going to keep you. And I would love to tell you that in that moment, as incredible and as real and as powerful of a moment that I've ever experienced with God in my entire life, I would love to tell you that that next day, everything was perfect, but it was not. It was the same. It was the same battle, but something changed in me. And I realized that God was using a terrible circumstance to build patience within me. Because godliness, Christ-likeness, let me say it this way. The goal of your life is to become more like Christ, not to have your best life right now. Yes, God wants to give you your best life. The problem is, is that he gets, determined, he gets to determine what that is, not us. And our definition sometimes of what we want to have the blessed life is a little bit different than what God determines. And so he wants to create in us contentment 
and patience. Aren't you glad you came this morning? (laughs) Do this for me. If the musicians would come, if you would, if everybody would stand up in here. This morning's message um, is a challenging one. You You hear the same message Every single day, hundreds and hundreds, if not thousands of times in, in, every, in every avenue that you could ever imagine. You need more. What you have is not enough, and you need it right now. And God's word to us is the exact opposite, which is if, if you're going if, if to go all in with Jesus, you have to understand that God is a rewarder, but his reward is Jesus, the presence of Jesus, and it is enough. His presence is enough. It doesn't matter what you're going through. God is good. He's trustworthy. He is with you. He is on your side. He is going to take care of you. He's going to take you through the storm. Sometimes he delivers right in the middle of it, and other times he swoops in and he calms the storm within. But he is working out good for you. He is working out good in you. He is working out good in you. Through contentment and patience, you and I will become more and more Christ-like. And through that, not only will our relationship with him grow, but so will the, the opportunity to draw others to Jesus as well. When they see something different in you and me, when they see the exact opposite of the message that culture speaks every single day, lived out in you in contentment. Who in the world is content around here? You know anybody that's content anymore? There's a few. I can, I can pick up on a few. What about patience? And yet God wants to work that in us just in case we decide we want to over-spiritualize what Jesus had told us. James comes in and gives us in this case a a harsh rebuke and a wonderful encouragement be encouraged Christ is in you and with you so if you would close your eyes we're not going to call anyone to the front this morning but I do want to pray for you if you're in here and you can just say this Joel I have been I'll be honest with you I've, I've been distracted by the messages from this world and I just I need to repent I need to I need to say I'm sorry I need to recognize what it is and I need to turn from it I just need to I just need to repent when you talked about wanting more and wanting it right now that kind of at least recently has been my life and I need to repent if that's you I know that's a I know that's a hard thing to raise your hand to. Nobody's looking around except for me and the Holy Spirit. Would you, would you confess that? Lift your hand real, real high, and then you can put it down. Yeah. Yeah. If you're in here and you say, Joel, I, I, uh, I just need hope. I just need the I just need the the acknowledgement that God is with me and He's not left. He's still with me. He's not gone anywhere. And and while He I guess is working out this patience in me, I just need His presence. And I need to know that God is a rewarder and that He rewards me with His presence and that He is enough. I just need hope this morning. If that's you, would you raise your hand real real high? And then you can put it down. Yeah. That message is for you. 
That is what God has for you. That is His message. His message is that His presence is with you always, always, always. He will never leave. He will never forsake you. And His presence is enough. God, I'm grateful this morning for everyone in this room. I'm grateful for your message. I'm grateful for the encouragement. God, I'm grateful even for me sometimes for a rebuke. God, and I pray this morning that this congregation here, God, would experience a reorienting of faith, knowing that you are always with them and your presence is enough. You are a rewarder, and your reward is Jesus. And he is enough. Lord, we repent. All of our hope, God, is on you this morning. Reorient our faith to you again, we pray. Thank you, God.